John chapter number 20, John chapter number 20, thank you for the music, I love that song, I love the part where it says, I was there when he saved my soul, uh, it would do us all good to think back right now to when it was and where you were when Jesus saved you, and if you cannot take your mind back to where you got saved, there might be a reason why. You can't take, I didn't ask when you got baptized, I didn't ask when you got confirmed in a church, I asked when Jesus saved your soul. It would do us well to remember uh, what Jesus did for us and where we were and where we were on our way to uh, when Jesus found us. And if you can't take your mind back, oh, this morning you need to pay close attention to what I'm going to preach and the opportunity for you to put your faith in Christ. The church won't save you, man can't save you. But by the grace of God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be saved. This morning, we're going to begin in John chapter number 20. We're going to look at three passages of Scripture. We're going to be in John 20, then we're going to go to the book of Acts, and then we're going to go to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, this morning, my message is going to be a little bit unusual in the sense that uh, if you regularly attend, you, you know that I typically will read the Scripture make a few comments, give you the title of the message, then have a word of prayer. This morning, I'm just going to have a word of prayer to begin with, and then I'll get into the reading of the Scripture because uh, we're going to read in several passages of Scripture. And the message is going to be unusual in the sense that I'm going to take a little bit of time to get into the outline. And as we, on this Resurrection Sunday, celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, and we look at the account of the resurrection, we're going to look at it a little bit differently than maybe we normally would on a typical Easter Sunday. We're going to attempt to look at the resurrection of our Savior from the perspective of the Apostle Peter. And this morning, I'm going to preach a message I've entitled, The Apostle Peter's Testimony of the Resurrection. And so I'm going to have a word of prayer in just a moment, and then after we pray, uh, it'll even take me a moment before we get to John chapter number 20. Uh, but then once we do, we'll be in John 20, Acts chapter number 2, and then we'll take our message, the outline from 1 Peter chapter number 1. So this morning we're going to look at the resurrection uh, from the Apostle Peter's testimony. Father, I pray that you would use your word today. And Father, already we have had a wonderful, wonderful day to be reunited with our church family to sing those wonderful songs about the resurrection of your Son. Father, to think about what that means to each of us, to those that do not know you who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. They don't know the meaning. It's not possible for them to have a full understanding of what it means to have a risen Savior. Father, I pray that there's one in our midst today who's depending on a religion, who's depending on their own works, who's yet to put their faith in Christ, may today be their day of salvation. I pray that if there's one watching by live stream or listening by way of radio that maybe has been depending on something other than the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, may they realize that today. May the Spirit of God convict their hearts and may they call on the name of Jesus today. Father, for the Christian, the child of God, may we be reminded of why we have hope. May we be reminded of why we have victory. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection. 
Father, I pray that your will would be done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Peter is a very interesting Bible character to me. A lot of times we only look, and it's, it's man's nature, to only look at Peter's failures. Peter was one of those individuals, I can only imagine what kind of personality he had. Uh, I imagine he was one of those men that you either loved him or you hated him. And you could probably do both in the same day. Peter was an individual who did have some failures. We think of the resurrection of our Savior and the crucifixion of our Lord and the, and the trial and the mockery of, of, of any kind of decency and justice in that trial and the declaration of guilty of the Lord Jesus Christ when he, of course, uh, had never known sin. But we think of Peter, at least I do, one of the things I think of Peter was he denied Christ three times as, as Christ predicted he would. But make no mistake about it, Peter was a greatly used individual. Peter, there's some things about Peter that I wish I could emulate in my own life. See, Peter never got over himself. I mean, he, 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 got, he got over himself, but he never got over who Jesus was. There's a reason, there's got to be a reason that when Jesus called out those 12 disciples, inside that 12 disciples, there were those three that often would be sought out by the Lord to go exclusively with him, and Peter was always one of those. You think of Peter's relationship with Jesus, and we think of a resurrected Savior from this side of the tomb. And again, I praise God for a resurrected Savior. I, I, my faith and my hope in eternity is not in, in any, any, any mortal man. It is not in anybody who you can go to his grave and his tomb and say, here lies so-and-so, the founder of this religion. Uh, my Savior is sitting at the right hand of the Father this morning. Peter had a relationship with Jesus. It was a personal relationship, obviously. I think of Peter, and Peter was called from the life of a fisherman to leave all, forsake all he knew, and follow Christ. Think of the miracles that Peter saw firsthand. One of the wonderful things about the Bible in knowing that you're saved is the Spirit of God dwells within you. And the Spirit of God is the one who moved on, the, on those men as they penned this book. And when you read the Scripture, the Spirit of God within you bears witness with the book that He has written. And I don't know about you, but I, many times I can place myself in those story and picture myself there as Jesus does that miracle. But that's the best that you and I can do because we weren't there. Peter was there. Peter saw Jesus raise the dead. Peter saw Jesus heal the sick. Peter saw the miracles. We've been in the, in the, in the, in the series on Sunday morning, the miracle of the five loaves and two fishes. One of the ones who distributed those fishes was Peter himself. Not only did Peter see firsthand the miracles of Christ, Peter was involved in the miracles of Christ. Peter still holds the record for the longest walk on water. And when Jesus came out walking on the water in that storm, he said, do you really believe Jesus walked on the water? Oh, yeah, I really believe Jesus walked on the water. 
And he bid those disciples come, only one came out. And if you didn't know the story, but you knew the men, you would probably guess which one it was. It was Peter. Peter came out and walked on the water, and certainly we know that he took his eyes off the Lord and began to sink, but he had the faith to walk on the water. Jesus was, or Peter was also present at the transfiguration of Christ. What a fascinating thing to be a witness to that moment. When Jesus reveals some of his glory and there he met with Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine spending time with Jesus and then you go off with him and Moses, who you've read, Elijah, who you've read about in the Scriptures, you are witness to a conversation with your Lord in Moses and Elijah. Peter was there. It was Caesarea, at Caesarea Philippi when Peter declared about Jesus, as, he declared him as the Christ, the Son of the living God, as is recorded in Matthew 16 where Christ declared that he himself, not Peter, but he himself would be the cornerstone of the church. He was present with Christ at the Garden of Gethsemane. Those of you that were able to go on that trip to Israel last year, and we went to that Garden of Gethsemane, and knowing that somewhere in that garden, the Lord had those sweat drops of blood as he prayed. And he made he say to those words, not my will, but thine be done. Somewhere also in the vicinity of that garden, Peter was there. I know what some of you are thinking. He fell asleep. And yes, he did fall asleep while he was praying. But yet he was in the presence of the Savior in those last hours. It was Peter when Jesus went to those three there with him and he woke them and said, the hour has come. It was Peter in his impetuous nature that drew a sword and took off the ear of one of those. Of course, we know what Christ did with that because that was not Christ's purpose at that point. His purpose was to go to the cross. But yet it was Peter who was there. It was Peter who witnessed the trial. And yes, we know he did it from afar off, and we know that he denied, but Peter saw from afar what was being done to his Lord. Peter had an interest, he had a unique relationship. He had a, had a, had a, a witness of, a, of what, what Christ had done, of who Christ was. He had been convinced to the point where he said, Thou art the Christ. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're, you're John. But Jesus said to him, who do you say that? And he says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter had seen enough to know that this was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He knew who he was. What a unique opportunity God allowed Peter to have. Could you imagine what must have gone through the heart of Peter? When Jesus endured the suffering, that the result was he was unrecognizable as a man. He was beaten and tortured to the point where you could not 
tell who he was. You could not even tell that was a man. This is the same face that Peter saw the tears come out of his eyes as the scripture tells us Jesus wept. These are the same hands that, as we've been talking about on Sunday morning, broke the bread that met the needs of thousands that are now pierced as he's nailed to a cross. Can you imagine what must have gone through the heart of Peter? We know the story of the crucif- the account of the crucifixion of Christ where the Scripture tells us he gave up the ghost. I remind us all, man did not kill Christ. He gave his life willingly for you and I. This brings us, I want us with that as a background, to come to John chapter number 20. And we begin reading in verse number 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Verse 2 of John 20, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. We know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. The napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. They went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Now, can you imagine Peter, Mary comes and says, he's not there. He runs to the sepulcher. As he gets there and he sees those linen clothes, I wonder if what went through his mind were the words of Jesus. I'll destroy the temple in three days, build it up again. He had confirmed that he was the Christ, and now he is in this surreal moment, if you will, witnessing an empty tomb that we sing about, that we rejoice in. Peter is now there where the body of Christ was, but is no longer there. Turn with me just a few pages in your Bible to Acts chapter number 2. While you're turning there, between... The account that we just read in Acts chapter number 2, Christ is going to reveal himself to his disciples. In chapter number 1 of the book of Acts, we know very well that he ascends into heaven and he leaves a mandate, he leaves a command to those disciples to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth and preach a resurrected Christ. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be a witness, Acts 1.8, be a witness of what you've seen. What had they seen? They had seen Christ, the Son of the living God, do those miracles. They had been called out by Him. That is the church. They had, been, they had witnessed the miracles that He had done. They, Peter had been involved in the miracles that Christ did. Uh, Peter had seen him at that mountain of transfiguration. Peter had, had witnessed all those things. Peter had seen the empty tomb, 
And by the time we get to Acts chapter number 2, Christ had revealed himself and he showed them the wounds. He had been called by Christ. He had ministered with him. He had been witness to the things that had been done to him, and he had witnessed the resurrection. He knew there was a risen Savior. Now he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. At Acts chapter number 2, and let's look at verse number 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Peter could preach this because he had seen the miracles and wonders and signs. This is a whole other message I'm working on for another time, but we're speaking of Peter. Peter takes that sword and he chops off that ear. They are here to arrest him because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah. Peter cuts an ear off. Jesus picks it up, puts it back on, heals him, and they still arrest him because he claimed to be the Messiah. There was a lot of religious people around that crowd that day, and none of them picked that ear up and put it back on his head. Isn't it a good illustration of how when man is blinded by their own pride and they're blinded by their own religion, Christ could be in their midst and they would still reject and and reprove what the Scriptures say. Which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Wicked hands, sinners' hands, crucified a perfect Savior. Think about that just for a moment. Christ allowed sinners to crucify Him so that the payment can be made for the very sinners who are crucifying him. It was sinful man. Verse 24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, that it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Peter says, you wicked sinners crucified Jesus, whom God through miracles and signs and wonders proved that he was his son. Death could not hold him. He is alive. He has been resurrected. So we see the progression of the testimony of Peter as he was uh, ministered with Christ and he had witnessed the, the things of the crucifixion and he had been in the empty tomb. Now he is preaching of a risen Savior. You crucified him, but he's alive today. Death could not hold him. And friend... It's not just a matter of Christ rose from the dead. And yes, he did, and we should rejoice in that because you and I would have no hope of a resurrection if it wasn't for the resurrection of Christ. You and I would have no hope over, the, over, over overcoming sin if it was not through a resurrected Christ. Then I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, and this is where we'll take our message this morning. 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1, I'm going to read verses 3 through 5, and then I'll read verses 18 through 21, and I'm aware of the time, and so I'll read the scripture, and then I'll get right into the outline this morning, and we'll we'll be out on time. 
1 Peter chapter number 1, look at me at verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'll, I'll keep reading, but I, when I read this verse, I have to comment on, aren't you thankful for His abundant mercy? Friend, if you're saved today, you got saved the same way everybody else got saved, through the grace of God, by the mercy of God. Let me just remind you, that word abundant means there's enough. I'm thankful that as a child, when I realized that I was a sinner on my way to hell because of my sins, I realized that Jesus, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, paid my sin debt, overcome death and hell, and as a child, the best I could, I put my faith in what Jesus did. I'm thankful that all those years ago, there was still enough mercy for me to receive Christ as my Savior. And we can fast forward today, and if you sit here this morning, and you're not for certain you're on your way to, to heaven, and you're wondering, can God really save you? Are you worth saving? Can you really be saved because of the things that you've done? Let me tell you, the Bible reminds us this morning, His mercy is abundant hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that faith is not away, reserved in heaven for you. Well, think about that, Christian. Look what we have waiting for us. An inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, faith is not away, reserved in heaven. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse number 18, same chapter. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Peter, we very briefly have summarized from Jesus finding him and calling him and him forsaking all to follow Christ. To that ministry with Christ to Christ's crucifixion, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection. We read in John chapter number 20 how Peter ran to that tomb, saw the linen clothes there, the risen Savior. Bear in mind, it was still fresh in his memory what took place three days prior. This was not like a lot of time has passed. And friend, can you imagine how interwoven Peter's life was with Christ and he believed he was the Son of the living God and for him to go to that cross for him to give up the ghost. Can you imagine the emotional turmoil that his followers, Peter specifically this morning, had endured for three days? That's why when Mary said he's not there, they took off running. Man, it takes a lot to get a Baptist preacher to start sprinting, but let me tell you, hey, they took off running. And when he went inside that tomb, he saw those clothes gone. Later, Christ revealed himself to them, ascended into heaven, He's preaching on Pentecost of a resurrected Savior. 3,000 trust Christ as their Savior. Added to the church that day. Now he's writing a letter to the church. 
He reminds them of some things. And this is from the perspective that I want to give just for a few minutes the message from Peter's perspective. Because we're all here today because of a risen Savior. We're all in the house of God today because today there's just an extra, I say an extra emphasis because we want to emphasize it every day of the, of, of the week. There's an extra emphasis on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. But I want to let Peter testify with his resume this morning. I want to let Peter testify by the Spirit of God this morning from his testimony about the resurrection, some things for you and I to remember and to be aware of. I say, first of all, as we look again at verse number 3, number 1, the resurrection brings hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hey, the resurrection of Christ this morning is our hope. I have hope this morning. I have that blessed hope that Titus speaks of. What is that hope? That is an eternity in heaven. That's forgiveness of sins. That's salvation by the grace of God. The resurrection brings hope. Friend, this morning, you can hope in Christ because of the resurrection. What is it, you Christians, that you put all of your faith and all of your your hope in this one called Jesus? It's because of the resurrection. He's the only one who's conquered death. He's the only one who holds the keys to death and hell. He has conquered it, but we have our hope in the resurrection. There would not be a lot of hope in a Savior that could not overcome death. Because let's just be honest this morning. What does man fear? He fears death. What is our hope? He reminds us in verse number 4, there's an inheritance that awaits for us in heaven. Why why can we have hope this morning? Because of the resurrection of Christ. Number two, statement number two is this. As Peter continues to testify, the resurrection is accepted by faith. Look at verse number five again. Who are kept by the power of God. Let me just stop right there. There's there's some who would say, well, if, if he... If you get saved and and you continue to to sin and be a sinner, you're not saved. Well, the Bible doesn't say my salvation is kept by me. And aren't you thankful it's not up to the brethren to keep your salvation? There's not some group of holy men who sits in a headquarters somewhere who decides those among us are going to stay saved. But let me tell you who keeps you saved who are kept by the power of God. Friend, this morning, some of you need to get your salvation settled. If you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ from that moment to this and for eternity, you are saved. It's kept by the power of God. We wouldn't have a very big God if he couldn't keep you saved. We wouldn't have a very big God that we could hope in if he couldn't keep you saved. Friend, my goodness, just like my goodness couldn't save me, any goodness I have can't keep me saved. It is the power of God. That's not even one of my points, but I had to say that. We are kept by the power of God. So we've seen how we've been kept through faith unto salvation. 
The resurrection is, is accepted. Resurrection is important because of faith. It's kept through faith. You know why the resurrection means something to me this morning? It's because of the faith I had in the resurrection. It's a faith thing. Notice what it says. It's not just through faith, but it's unto salvation. Faith is required for salvation. You cannot deny the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and be saved. Matter of fact, you cannot, now I'll mention this more in just a few moments, you cannot believe in the resurrection and in anything else for salvation. It is simply, in a resurrected Savior, our faith through Him. The resurrection is accepted by faith. There are some today that say, I don't, know why, I don't know why you believe all this you believe. You've never seen it. Some who want to scoff at a resurrected Savior say, have you ever seen it? Well, I have been to Israel and I have been in an empty tomb that very well could have been this tomb. Nobody knows. Let me tell you some places that you can go and you can see a dead man that lives there. I mean, men, think about this. Men through the centuries have been looking for holy artifacts. They've been looking for holy things. Do you think it would be a secret if they found a tomb they thought Jesus was in? Oh, no, but they can look. And they can look, and they can look, and they'll never find it because he's not there. You've got to be accepted by faith. Then number three, as I move along this morning, as the Apostle Peter continues to testify to us, look at me verse number 18. Please, because of the time we have remaining, do not let these truths not get settled in your heart this morning. Verse 18, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. See, number three, the resurrection is necessary for redemption. Why do we celebrate a resurrected Savior? Because with no resurrection, no redemption. Peter goes on to remind them what they were not saved by. Then he tells them, after he reminds them what they were not saved by, he reminds them of what they were saved by. How many of you are saved this morning? Let me see your hand. You know what you're saved by? The blood of Jesus. So I have an exception. No, there is no exception. You are, it's ne- the resurrection is necessary for redemption. It was not enough that Jesus died. He had to rise from the dead. He had to overcome death. He he had to overcome and and pay our sin debt. See, uh, any other belief but the resurrection, look at the Bible and look what Peter says. Now bear in mind, 
This is the Apostle Peter under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. This is the Apostle Peter who had walked on the water to Jesus. This is the Apostle Peter who was on that Mount of Transfiguration and saw the Lord in part of his glory having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. This is, the, this is the Apostle Peter who, after the Christ was crucified, went in the empty tomb, and those, that linen that he was wrapped in is now left there. This is the same Apostle Peter who, when Christ revealed himself to his disciples, saw the wounds in his hand. This is the same Apostle Peter who watched Jesus ascend into heaven, and he heard those last words, "'Go be a witness of my death, burial, and resurrection.'" This is the same Apostle Peter who preached under the power of the Spirit of God to those Jews that day, and 3,000 of them trusted Christ as Savior. This is the same Apostle Peter that says, redemption, the only way you have redemption is through the resurrection. He says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. How can you be incorruptible through the, the corruptible? He's already told us that there's incorruption awaiting for us. So it has to be something or someone uncorruptible who would give us salvation. You're not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Now it seems kind of ironic to me that those that would say Peter was the first pope may not have read 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. Because it sounds a lot to me like he's describing a religion that is nothing but tradition. So he cannot be the first pope, because to say Peter is the first pope, to say Peter a man, God was going to build his whole church on a sinful man, is vanity. For a man to say that I can work my way to heaven is vanity. I mean, who do we really think we are to say that we can work our way to God? I can do enough good where I can measure up to God's holiness and God's perfection. I don't want you to listen to this Baptist preacher this morning. I want you to listen to the testifying of the Apostle Peter. As he says, You are not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversations, your vain manner of life. Received by tradition from your fathers. That was the whole problem with those that crucified Jesus. They could not get over the tradition to seek God in their midst. They could not get over their tradition and they had the Son of God in their presence. Well, you'd have to have a lot of loyalty to a tradition to crucify the Son of God, wouldn't you? See, the resurrection is necessary for redemption. Anything other than the resurrection is vanity. How vain is man to think that they have the power to save themselves? Vain conversation, the vain manner. Vanity is belief that the church can save you. It doesn't matter what denominational label you put on it. You can put Baptist as well as anything on it. There's not a church that can save anybody. To confess your sins to a man and ask that man's forgiveness is vanity. The Bible tells us there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. To pray to Mary, 
or to anybody but God himself is vanity. To think that a man is going to do for us what, I don't, I don't care who she was the mother of, she needed to be saved too. It's vanity to light a candle and pray, to try and pray somebody out of a place that's not even mentioned in the Bible is vanity. To place the Pope's word above God's word is vanity. Pastor, you're, you're, you're picking on the Catholic Church today. If I had time, I, I would just go down the list. Because there's only one way for redemption. And that's through Jesus. You know, that's the wonderful thing. I wasn't born a Catholic, but I was still redeemed. And if you weren't born a Baptist, you can still be redeemed. If you weren't born some, you say, well, well I wasn't born into this. Or this was my, the, my family's religion. More important than, than what your family's religion was, your tradition, your vain conversation, you, you might want to make sure that you're redeemed because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Don't listen to the words of this preacher this morning. Listen to your Bible. Listen to the Apostle Peter who said, all those traditions that men hold to for their salvation, it is vanity. There is but one way to have forgiveness of sins. There is but one way to have redemption, and that is through the resurrection. And there's only one who could resurrect himself, and that was God. The resurrection is necessary for redemption. And number four, the resurrection is the fulfillment of God's plan. I very quickly make this, make this point, and we'll move to the invitation. Look at verse number 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, it was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. To just go right with what I was already talking about. God never intended for our hope to be in man, our hope to be in church, our, but our hope is to be in him. We don't come to church to get our salvation. We come to church this morning because we are saved. We, we get it from God. It is God always intended for it to look to Him. Here, here's what I want just to see in closing. God knew man would need a Savior. The Scripture here tells us that before the foundations of the world, God had decided already how He would redeem man. Because He knew of man's fall. He knew he was going to send his son to be the sin sacrifice. As I read verse number 20, who verily hath for name before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, I can't help but think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He knew it before the world, but Christ was the manifestation of his gift, the resurrection. He sent his son to be salvation. Peter's testimony is very clear. There is but one way to heaven, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He conquered death and hell. 
Well, the resurrection means a lot to us because it means that we have a God who could provide a way for us. And this morning, I, it's a message for another day. I can, I can tell you why I'm a Baptist, and I can tell you why I'm a Baptist by conviction. But that does not make salvation exclusive to me. I believe that way because I believe that's what the Bible teaches. But I do not believe that the only way to heaven is to be a Baptist. And if I do not believe being a Baptist by conviction, if I do not believe the only way to heaven is to be a Baptist, you can rest assured I don't believe the only way to heaven is to be a Catholic or a Methodist or a Muslim. I believe there's one way to heaven. It's through the resurrection of Christ. Pastor, can someone be saved that don't believe in the resurrection? No. Can someone be saved if they believe in the resurrection and they believe it's necessary for the church to grant forgiveness? No. It's but through Christ. The Apostle Peter had a unique relationship with Christ. I was thinking about this this morning, and I won't go into all the reasons why I was having these, these thoughts. I was, I was thinking about the rapture, and I was thinking about Christ returning again. And I had Moses and Elijah on my mind because obviously I referred to them this morning. Then the title of my message is the testimony of the Apostle Peter. And I was thinking to myself, I'm going to see Peter one day. Now what it was like for Peter to be there with his other disciples and there's Moses and Elijah. If you know the story, there's like we need to build three temples. One for, and of course, Jesus took care of that. But just as probably, he's like, there's Moses and Elijah. We're going to have a conversation with Peter one day. But if Peter could come here now, say, Pastor, what would Peter say? He would say what he's already said. That our redemption is through a resurrected Savior. This morning, if you are saved, what a wonderful day for us to rejoice in our salvation. What a wonderful opportunity for us to be reminded of why we are saved. Nothing good of us, but faith in what Christ did. Aren't you thankful for a risen Savior? But if you're here this morning and you are depending on something other than Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it, it's, it's 100% belief in that with nothing else added. There is but one way to get to heaven. It's through Christ. And it's not just believing that Christ was born, and Christ died, Christ was resurrected. It's in believing that He was the sin payment. He was the Son of God. And yes, He did die being that sin payment, but He was resurrected. You have to put your complete faith in that. I can tell you this morning, if you're not saved, you've never believed in Christ and Christ alone, if you'll trust Him today, I can make a couple of guarantees to you. There's still abundant mercy available. I can make the guarantee to you that He will save you. 
And the last guarantee I'll mention this morning is you'll never look at Easter the same again. Because every Sunday, every day is a reminder of what Christ did for us. Father, I pray.